Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome Arlo Guthrie, a folk singer known for many fantastic songs, such as Darkest Hour, his cover of The City of New Orleans, Alice's Restaurant, the, the famous Thanksgiving song, as everybody knows it, and uh, many more amazing songs. So welcome, Arlo. How are you today? Sam, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Arlo. You just unretired, and your first date of your What's Left of Me little tour thing is right around the corner. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I can tell you that my retirement really had little to do with the actual performances. It was the re retiring from getting there, and it took hours and hours sitting in a tour bus to get anywhere and obviously to go to the next place and to do that night after night uh week after week month after month got to be a little too much for an older guy so the days of doing one gig after the next uh every night for 30 nights uh was beginning to wear a little thin so i retired from that part of it and uh of course because of the pandemic everybody was retired so i uh, took that opportunity to retire from traveling around because there was nowhere to go. And as the pandemic recited and began to end, I thought it would be time to resume uh, getting back on stage. So my fabulous wife here, you can't see who's off camera, and I put together a return to the stage that wouldn't be as demanding, it certainly wouldn't require flights and rent-a-cars and hotels and you know, all the stuff that you'd normally need or band and crew that, you know, came up to about, I don't know, 15, 16 people at times. Yeah, that, that sounds like an exhausting way to live, just going day after day and playing. So it's a it's good you got a, a little break from that over over the pandemic. And it's, you know, it's good you're, you're back into it. It's got to be a lot of fun, right? Well, you know, it was my way of life. That's what I did. Uh, everybody's got their own thing, of course. But for me, uh, I always made my living on the road, uh, entertaining, you know, people around the world. And I had a lot of fun doing it, even though it began to wear on me. You know, you're like any good tool. It wears out after a while. And uh, I, I was beginning to lose my voice. I was beginning to lose my ability to, you know, to, to have fun. So this is an opportunity to, to meet with the folks uh, who have been helpful to me all through life, uh, friends and their kids and their grandkids, and uh, reestablish some kind of connection with them that is not based on the old model of spending nine months a year on the road. Yeah, well, that well, that sounds like a good, exciting thing, and I'm really excited to hear about it. That that just sounds like a, a great time, and and oh boy, all, all that music that's going to be going on. I I really uh, I really love uh, your like folk songs in general, but specifically like some of the stuff you do is just incredible. I found myself over the past few days just like listening on repeat, like the all the all the Arlo classics. So oh well, boy, well I can't you know I I can't really pretend to sing like I used to sing or play like I used to play. So what I'm planning to do is to just sit in conversation with an old friend of mine and tell some stories, which was the big part. Well, I should say not the big part, but it was a major part of what I was doing anyway. So I'd get up on stage and I'd sing some songs and tell some tales and uh, sometimes both. And sometimes it was hard to define exactly which was which. <laughs> Uh, this time it'll be a little easier, and uh, there won't be a lot of music, but uh, there'll be some tall tales to tell. 
Well, all right. Yeah, that that sounds great. And I was just about to ask you, you you do a lot of these stories in, in your songs. Like you you sometimes take a break in the middle of the song, keep playing and, and just talk and tell <laughs> you tell some just magnificent stories. Are these things you come up with like beforehand or on the spot or how does that like how does that happen? You know, if I knew how it happened, I'd repeat it. Uh, <laughs> but you really can't do that. It's really stuff that either comes to you or is innate or is, comes from somewhere, obviously. But uh, I can't tell you where, except that it doesn't happen for everybody. Uh, but a few people have what the Irish used to call a gift of the gab. And uh, I think that was part of who I always was. And what's and frankly, it's what's left of me, which is why we need the tour back. <laughs> Gosh, wow. Yeah, no, your your stories are just so cool. Like I, I was listening the other day to your like your Can't Help Falling in Love where you talk about uh, playing with Pete Seeger, um, and like in like in Germany and all that. That was that was a story. I, I really yeah, that that was a good one. Yeah, there were a few good ones out there and you know, for the most part, of course, they uh they were one and done. They were done at a live event and no one recorded it or there wasn't cameras around. And so most of them, I would say ninety eight percent of them, have uh just vanished. Which is fine. I mean, that's what the point was. You had to be there. But every once in a while somebody either would record something or a TV crew would be there to capture it. And that was one of the ones that uh, was caught on film. And I'm I'm really glad that somebody was there that night. Yeah, that that was a great story. And gosh, well, playing with Pete Seeger must have been such a such an interesting thing to do, right? That must have been quite an experience. Well, there's nobody like him. And there wasn't before, and there isn't now. Mm -hmm. So the likelihood of another Pete Seeger showing up uh, is kind of, well, I wouldn't bet on it. I would say that, you know, Pete was one of those guys, he was one of a kind, sort of like a Johnny Appleseed type, if that name rings a bell. But he went around singing songs, and I think his wonderful gift was not only his ability to learn songs from all over the world and come back to the U.S. and make them a part of our own culture, uh, but his ability to spread it to the point where everybody was singing. In other words, you go into a venue, you go into a theater or whatever, and people would be singing along with him. These are people who normally wouldn't be seen talking to each other out on the street. But he got them to sing together. And there's a power in that. There's a, there's a thing in there. There's something that happens. It's magic. And uh, we, we haven't seen that uh, very often. And when we do, it's fairly rare. But Pete was a master at that. And I learned a lot from him just watching him. Yeah, well, you you must have learned so much with with all the music you were surrounded by, with with your father, with with all of those folk singers. That just that that must have really furthered your music education, right? Well, no, I would note that the big difference between then and now is that when I was a kid, when I was uh, very young, even younger than than you or anybody who's probably listening, uh, there was probably thirty to forty years of recorded music. Recording music was a new thing. Uh, it started in the 20s, but it really wasn't mass-produced music until the 30s and 40s when uh, radio became a thing, invented. And now you have 100 years of recorded music available to you. So you can go back and listen to what people were doing 
100 years ago. And you couldn't do that when I was a kid. You had 30 years at most, and most of them were old, scratchy recordings, you know, recording technologies improved. So uh, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, we would listen to these new things called, you know, that were records that were newly recorded. I mean, the sound quality was great, and you could listen to people play and sing in detail over and over and over and over again until you really figured out what it is they were doing and you could repeat it. Uh, but it was still limited because there weren't all that many people doing it. Nowadays, anybody can do it in their own home. You can make recordings and stuff and put it out there on YouTube or something like that. And there's an infinite amount of people who can learn from you or who you can learn from. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, that that's, well, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough. I can just like look up, you know, chords for chords for whatever the song may be. And I can just play that, right? That must have been so different back back when you were learning. You must have, gosh, you must have had to like figure it out. Like, oh, no, that's not right. That's right. We had to listen and uh, we had to figure out what it was those guys were doing. And one of the things I discovered was that when I was quite young, my father's uh, record collection was 78s. Uh, they went around 78 times a minute, so they called them 78s. And you got about two and a half minutes on a recording, but you could listen to them. And then they came out with regular albums that were 30, 33 and a third. And you could put a half hour of stuff on one side. And if you had the right kind of record player, you could play those 78s back at 33 and a third, which, which in music means that it's in the same key. And it's the same, it's just an octave lower and somewhat slower. So all of a sudden, all these great ragtime guys uh, and guitar pickers, I could slow down and figure out what they were doing. I don't know if you can do that digitally. I guess you can, but you got to be smarter than me. And But it was a great revelation uh, when I was a kid growing up because you could actually slow stuff down to the point of uh, where it wasn't so I mean if you look at a guy playing a banjo you don't know which notes he's playing he's playing so fast uh, you can't tell what's going by all you can do is listen to it uh, but all of a sudden if you could slow it down and see what he's doing and learn from it and try to replicate it yourself you'd know how to play the banjo too or any uh, instrument well that was new to me when I was a kid, and uh, maybe it's routine these days. I don't know, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, no, that that sounds like a blast. Just just going in, trial and error, figuring it out. And once you did figure it out, you were probably like, "Hey, look at me! Look at what I can do!" Right? Like that, you, a little yeah. bragging moment. Well, I had a, I had a, you know, back in the day when I was in high school, uh, I was a good picker. I could because I had studied not studied like books and not we didn't have internet and stuff like that i listened to records and i figured out what those guys were doing one way or the other and could repeat it not only that i could teach my friends how to play and so we'd sit around in groups and you know we'd show each other stuff and pretty soon we were doing shows and uh i don't know it sort of morphed into the life i had for the last 50 years wow well you did your first show when you were like 13 right that that must have been <laughs> Yeah, I was a kid. I was scared as hell. I mean, it was it was awful. Really? I vowed I would never do it again. 
And uh, when I when I walked off the stage and went back into the dressing room, I said, Arlo, you are never doing that again. And of course, I did it for the rest of my life. Yeah, well, I guess you you have to have that that one bad show to start you out. And then then you're well, uh... I you enough to make an impression. So uh, I mean, most, you know, moments of your life sort of just go by and it's hard to remember what you did last week, let alone uh, when you were 13. But uh, some stuff, whether it, whether it's a, a wonderful moment or a terrible moment or whatever it is, some stuff stays with you. It gets imprinted. And uh, that moment in time, I will never forget. Yeah, that, that seems like an unforgettable moment. It really, really started you off into, I guess, a, a lifelong career. And gosh, I'm, am I glad you did it, right? Now I can... Well, I mean, I didn't do it from then on. Of course, I was 13, so I started going to high school. I got through high school years. So there was a lag mm. in there. But at least somewhere in my history, I had had this opportunity uh, to be playing live in front of an audience. And for most people, that would scare the hell out of them. I mean, just standing up there, just trying to think of something to say, let alone doing anything. And uh, so it made an impression on me. So that I went, when I went to uh, college, I remember uh, I was sitting there studying. Uh, I went to school to study forestry, but I had to take other courses and music was one of them. And so I'm sitting there with a teacher that's never played professionally in, in his life. And he's telling me what to do. And I thought, wait a minute, I already made somewhat of it wasn't a big living, but at least on the street, you know, when you're out there playing, people putting money in your jar or your hat or something like that, you can say that you're a professional. And uh, <laughs> I, I made the best use of that I could. And eventually I just had to drop out of college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine you you being in like a music class. You probably could have taught it by then, right? You, you knew a pretty decent amount about music, like with your with your upbringing and such. Well, not only did I was not only was I well versed in traditional folk music, but my mother, uh, who was a Martha Graham dancer, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but she was trained in the classics. So we, as kids, we would sit in the car driving down the road. She'd have the radio on and she'd say, okay, what composer is that? And uh, for extra points, uh, what era is it? And who's the musical director? Who's the conductor? Oh, we had to know all this stuff. So when I was in high school, I got to not only play, but teach because I, and not because I knew a lot, but I knew more than most people. And that was enough to become a teacher. And so I would teach theory and I would teach guitar playing and stuff like that. But I was well-trained, not only in the oral tradition of hearing something and being able to play it, uh, but in the tradition of writing it down and reading it. So I had to read music when I was a kid. It was awful, but it came in handy later on. Yeah, no, I feel for you here. I play viola and guitar, and I, I got to say, playing just like the chords is so much easier than looking at the sheet music. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> well, it's the, same, it's the same discipline, though. You still have to get your fingers in the right place. That's true. You still have to make the sound uh, sing as, as opposed to being played. You still have to do all of those things. And all of that happens just by doing it over and over and over again. There's passages in classical music that are just as difficult as the finest pickers out there. And, uh, you know, God bless the guys who spend the time uh, with the discipline that, that is theirs and uh, 
because you can tell the difference between their plan and somebody who hasn't put the time in. Yeah, well, we'll practice. We'll do that to you, right? It it furthers your your learning or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I try to do it when I can, but <laughs> you yeah. know, it's hard. My dad told you know uh, gave me my first guitar when I was like five years old, and he looked at me and said, you know, it's going to take you ten years to figure this out. And I just looked at him. I didn't say it, but I looked at him like, you're out of your freaking mind. I'm going to figure this out in three weeks. And of course, three weeks later, I thought I had it done. But 10 years later, I realized my dad was right. <laughs> it took it took 10 years to actually do it right. And not only that, but 10 years later, so 20 years after that, uh, I had to start all over again. And 30 years later, so every every decade or so, I put myself back starting from scratch really Where do you put, how do you put your fingers there how do you make the notes sing how do you do this and that how do you you know without flubbing it or goofing it off you know something like that and i think every really good artist does that really i didn't realize that was a, a thing you do that's that's really interesting yeah so you just kind of like relearned the the works of the instrument you learn it and you try to forget what you you try to forget the bad habits you've learned mm -hmm. which is really difficult uh especially uh when it comes to doing something complicated uh you you figure out a way to do it and it may not be the best way it may be the easiest at the time but it's not it doesn't allow you to grow. It doesn't allow you to continue to learn. And so I have had to unlearn stuff and then start from scratch again and learn it the right way so that it's like even just where, to, where do you put your fingers on the instrument, right? whether it's a piano or a viola or a guitar, it doesn't really matter as long as you're able to sit back and say, yeah, I've been doing it this way, but maybe I could do it that way. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Like, I guess really changing how you how you play your instrument, how you do everything with your instrument. I guess your dad really well, was right then. Yeah. Yeah, it's not only with instruments, it's life in general. I mean, you learn from your mistakes and you learn how to uh, overcome bad habits and you learn better ones so that you can continue to go with as less as least hassle as possible. Yeah, yeah, wow. That that's yeah, that's really interesting. I I guess I I mean it's it's definitely right. You wanna you wanna out with the bad, in with the good. I guess in in well, some ways. The thing about the thing that makes good good is that you can extend it, mm -hmm. and it, it extends into other parts of your life, and it extends into you know your family and your relationship and your job and your school or whatever it is. Uh, if you learn, if you start out with bad habits, no problem, as long as you can correct them later on yeah. and make the best use of it. It's, it you know, I wouldn't put somebody off by saying, don't do anything, because uh, then you end up like a sludge, you know? So you'll, what you want to do is do things the way that they feel right to you at the time, and then go back and consider it and look at it and say, maybe I can do this a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, well, I guess improvement Improvement is pretty pretty important for for your your life and your your playing and all of that stuff. And I, it makes a difference. People can tell the difference between. I mean, if at least I can. Uh, you know, if I'm sitting in front of an audience and they're talking to each other about, you know, what do we do afterwards or where are we going for dinner later? I know that I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing it as well as if they are. Their attention is wrapped 
their focus is on what we're doing at the moment. So there's degrees to which you're good. Anybody can walk out on stage. Well, maybe not anybody, but uh, even that takes some guts. But you have to be willing to screw it up in order to later say, I screwed that up. I wonder if I can make it better. And little by little, you do. And if it takes a lifetime of doing I mean, there's a reason Yo-Yo Ma is still playing music and still attracting uh, theaters full of people around the world. It's because he's a guy that is consistently learning, never been afraid to make mistakes, never been afraid to correct them. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess that's that's really true. It's um, l- Learning is, well, I guess it's obviously like a key part to everything, but but especially like music. And I, I've been meaning to ask, like, what was what was the moment in your life that you decided you were going to be a musician? Well, I always loved music, even as a little kid, and I liked playing it. I didn't think I was going to be a professional uh, because nobody in their right mind, when I was a kid growing up, wanted to be a musician. I mean, you wouldn't let your daughter marry one for, for sure because we were, you know, looked down on uh, as being less than human. Uh, that was until things changed, you know, and glam rock came in and everybody wanted to be a rock star or something like that. But, you know, those kind of things changed. But for me, I was always interested in playing music and I thought I would do so with my friends. It never occurred to me uh, that I would make a living doing it. I went to college to study to study forestry. Uh, that was what my interest was. And But I always played music on the side, as it were, just sitting around with my friends. And it morphed into the life that I, you know, I have lived. And it hasn't been bad at all. I still know a little bit about forestry, too, which is great. But uh, I've learned over from over uh, from doing the same thing over and over again uh, that I can make it a little better every time. It doesn't matter if it's a story like in Alice's Restaurant uh, or something like that. I've told that story a million times. Uh, and every time it gets tweaked, every time I sing a song like City of New Orleans, it gets tweaked just a little bit. And I realized at some point, for most people in the audience, a song like City of New Orleans goes by in three minutes. But for you, if you've been doing it a million times, the spaces between the notes become uh, thinkable. You can actually visualize it. You can be there uh, in what it goes by too quick for, for somebody in the audience to note the degree of uh, vision that an artist has. So on stage, it goes by very slowly uh, because you can see the different, the little nuances, how you end a note, how you end singing it, uh, whether you smile or not, or whether you're looking at the audience or not, or whether something's happened. It all happens very quickly in the audience. To them, it's magic. They can't see the sleight of hand. They can't see the work you put into it. But if you do the same thing, anything, I don't care what it is, over and over and over again, there's no way you can get worse at it. You have to get better. Yeah. And so I would advise somebody to keep doing whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, well, does that get repetitive at all? It certainly seems like it must, like, you know, I, I guess if you've played that song, what, millions of times you said, that must be... Sure. I mean, there's a chance that, you know, uh, I remember one night I was singing City of New Orleans somewhere, and in the middle of the song, I thought to myself, I wonder what's for dinner. 
And I, I said, when the show was over, I went back and said, you can't do that. These people paid good money to see you. You can't be drifting off thinking about that. So I took it off the set list, much to everybody's chagrin at that point, because they had paid to hear the song. But I wouldn't do it unless I could be there all the way through the song and pay attention. So I learned how to how to pay attention and how not to make it so repetitive that it was like a trained seal doing an act. Well, how'd you do that? I just remembered that uh, I had I had to pay attention. Uh, I couldn't drift away. I couldn't just follow my instinct or my hunger. And it reminded me of the story. I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a great uh, uh, musical director, a uh, conductor that used to conduct at Carnegie Hall in New York. And he was known for being brutal with orchestra members. And somebody once asked him, how come? Why are you so hard on the, on the orchestra? And he said, because for some people, this will be the first time they hear this piece. And for some people, it'll be the last time. And it better be right. Hmm. And I always, I took that with me. I thought that was sound advice. Yeah, that, that, that really is, yeah, good advice, I guess. Like, it, it could be someone's first, like, first time, I guess, ever, ever hearing something. It, it really could... It could be your first impression or your last impression, I guess. That's that's right. And that's why it's important that anywhere in, I mean, for you, it might be repetitive, but for somebody else, it might not be. And if you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes and look at you, look at yourself, uh, then you have the burden of responsibility as that a, a real artist has. And that is to, to be able to see yourself as others see you, to hear yourself as others hear you, and to make decisions based on not only your idea of what's good, but somebody else's. Yeah. We all know well, look, we all know people who put up YouTubes or something like that of stuff they've made that they think is great. And it sucks. It's just <laughs> terrible. We all know everybody does that. Uh, and what distinguishes that guy from somebody who's what I would call a professional is that a professional has the ability to know what it sounds like to you who's listening or looking and uh, makes the corrections we talked about earlier in order to make that uh, more effective, whether it's a musical piece or whether you're teaching somebody about woodworking or what, whatever it is. There, there has to be, this, you have to have the ability to see you as others do. Wow. Huh. Yeah, it, it's really cool to be hearing these like these folk singer secrets of yours, I guess, like like <laughs> <laughs> like ways to, you know, because because it, it would be an absolute dream to be a folk singer. That sounds like such a cool job to have. I, man, I'm yeah. That, so this is just really neat. I think I mean, there's a, there's a place for music uh, somewhere in the world at any given time. Uh, there's a long history of people wandering from town to town, from village to village, whatever it is, playing drums, playing whatever it is, you know, something. But I think most of it was just that you're getting visited. You're getting visited by somebody, somebody who can tell you what's happening over in the next part of the world that you haven't been to for a while, or maybe you've never been. Uh, and it might be small talk about the weather. It might be, you know, there's some good looking girls over there, whatever it is. Uh, there's a transparency a way of, of, of learning. And folk songs have always provided that. Folk music has always provided that. Sometimes been a little commercialized, if you will. Uh, and, and it went on to spawn all these other, now we call them genres, 
uh, whether it's jazz or blues or rock and roll or this or that or something like that. Uh, but it all comes from you know, this uh, ability to want to play something. Somewhere in, in childhood, you just want to pick up a guitar, you want to pick up an instrument, you want to pick up a tool of some kind and figure it out. How does that work? Uh, and it starts from there. And for some people like me, you have the uh, good fortune to be around people who know what it is they're doing. Uh, and I've had the good fortune of being born into a world of folk singers and people who traveled around and told stories and sang songs and entertained the troops, as it were. And uh, I, I'm forever thankful for that. Yeah, getting getting to like learn under... Woody Guthrie, of all people, that that must have been quite a a way to further your learning. Well, mostly my dad was in you know in, in the hospital when I was a kid growing mm. up, but I learned from his friends uh, and his circle of of people that that was surrounding him from that culture. There's a certain you know, guys like Pete Seeger or even Lead Belly, if you go back far enough, uh, they were very influential in terms of uh, being popular. People would love for them to come. They just wanted to eat dinner with them. They wanted to have a drink with them. They wanted them to sing or perform or do something. And they were very influential to me because I got to meet them personally. So I could tell the difference between being on stage with them when they were performing and when they were off stage, when they were home with their wife and their kids or something like that. And I thought, okay, yeah, you don't have, uh, nobody's on stage all the time. And uh, a person that's home all the time doesn't belong on stage. I guess you got two personalities there, like a, a double. Well, at least, you know, in this modern world, we call, we would call it multiple personality disorder. But the truth is, without that ability to become multiple people, uh, you couldn't be a performer. You couldn't be an entertainer. You couldn't be an actor or an actress. You have to, you have to be able to live in some kind of fantasy world in order uh, to accomplish this. And if you're really good, it doesn't, it's no longer fantasy. It's, it's reality for not only you, but you've made something real to others uh, that maybe wasn't real to begin with, but it certainly is now. And we all look back on like the Star Wars movie or something like that, or, or the series or whatever it is. It's believable. We allow ourselves to fantasize and believe stuff, and all the more so with real people, as opposed to sitting in a movie theater with popcorn. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess having the that second that second personality, second way of people like interpreting you, I guess that really does. You know, even on your your worst days, like personally, you still gotta gotta make people happy by playing to them. I remember doing a show at Carnegie Hall in New York with my family. So all of my kids and grandkids. And I remember a couple of the little ones that were probably three or four or five years old were backstage arguing about a crayon. And I just took them aside and I said, you know what? This is fine for backstage. But once you walk out on stage, this argument goes away. You can't be arguing about a crayon in front of a couple of thousand people. They didn't pay to see that. And so... They learned at a very young age that you have to have, you have to put aside the fact that your dog died, your car won't start, your wife left, or whatever your problem is. And you have to forget about all of that and focus in on what's right in front of you, right? Be there now, as it were. And I think that's a great discipline for anybody to know. Yeah. 
that that sounds that sounds like a really hard thing to do especially you know especially if it's one of those worst things that's going on with you you really just gotta gotta put all that aside and be professional about it i guess well we have to do that in it's a great discipline in politics it's a great discipline in religion it's a great discipline all the debates that are going on right now it's really good to be able to put aside everything and look somebody in the eye and be there with them not as not as opposed to them not as for them but just be there at the same time and magical things happen when you're able to master the art of putting things aside uh it's just it's it's just a benefit for everybody yeah, I guess if you can like use that as a way to not be scared of the the audience in front of you. Like I know you played Woodstock and you had like however many thousands of people, and you were young then too. That must have been just utterly terrifying. Oh, it was, of course. You know, <laughs> it's the fact that there's five hundred thousand people watching you, and it was scary. I mean, it was raining. It was, it was every, every kind of disaster that could have gone. Everything that went wrong, everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Nevertheless, the spirit of the of the people themselves overcame all of the stuff. They all put everything aside and they all decided to enjoy themselves. And probably that's why we're still talking about it. Yeah. Hey, I mean, it, it turned out to be a, a great festival, right? And it had some great, great music, and including yourself. And, and Arlo, thank you just so much for talking to me today. This is just this has been such a, an amazing experience to hear all of your your folk music like <laughs> stuff. <laughs> nice, nice to chat with you too. All right. Okay, buddy. Take it easy. You too. All right. All right. I'm Sam, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Arlo Guthrie, the folk singer you might know from Darkest Hour, his cover of The City of New Orleans, and many more incredible songs. If you enjoyed that interview, make sure to check out my back pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcasting platform to listen to many great interviews just like this one.